What's up, everyone? This is the More Watts Podcast. We're back. I am, yeah, we're back. <laughs> Feels like it's been a minute, but this is a special episode. That's right. This isn't season two. No. I know you're waiting on season two. We'll we'll get there. <laughs> but this is special. We are in Minneapolis at Zips headquarters. Right. Zips headquarters. Zips headquarters. I know what you're saying. Chad, I want a discount. Can I get a discount on wheels? No. No. Uh, no. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. We actually saw it. <laughs> Not going to happen. Look, he's scratching his head. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, yes, I am Chad. Uh, my Instagram is Chad Bennett. You can also find us at Blackwatch Cycling on Instagram as well. Uh, our YouTube, obviously, if you're here, it's the more Watts on our YouTube. But, uh, yeah, we have... My name special is guest, David Morse. David Morse. And Dave Morse, tell us what you do here. I am an advanced development engineer for Zip and SRAM. Big brain. <laughs> Big We're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. And I'm Chris, everybody. You guys remember me. I think uh, so. At Tron Rides. You know what it is. Yeah, no IG. Uh, <laughs> Blackwash Cycling on, on IG. You know how to find it. <laughs> That's it. And we'd like to thank Dave for taking the time out of his busy schedule to be innovative uh, and make sure that we go fast on our wheels. Yeah. Um, we'd love to just understand a little bit about how you got into this. Sure, yeah. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks, guys, for stopping by, taking a visit, seeing everything we do. Um, got into cycling or got into engineering? Uh, Let's hear both. Let's hear both. both. Yeah. All right. Well, I know you guys are from New Jersey. That's kind of where I cut my teeth riding and racing bikes. Um, in high school, I started racing bikes a little bit, worked out of a bike shop in Atlantic Highlands, uh, just on the other side of New York. And uh, racing around, the, the hills are pretty damn steep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes. You need some serious gearing for that. But, um, yeah, started racing in high school through college, knew that that was something that I wanted to keep doing, and um, really just got into it as a passion in college. And I was very lucky enough to land a job right out of school working for Zip. I knew that was one of the brands I really respected and was super excited about. And um, I didn't do the, the typical route of getting a bunch of internships and everything. I just went straight for, I want to work at Zip um, and landed a job out here. So um, I've been working at Zip, um, started in 2008. And at, I started as a design engineer working on our first version of a carbon clincher. Before that, we were only doing tubular full carbon wheels and hybrid aluminum carbon clinchers. Um, so my first uh, project was the Firecrest carbon clincher. And um, a few years after that, I moved into our advanced development group, which is kind of like our R&D group. All right. Um, trying to come up with some new ideas for what the future product is going to be. Um, and there's, it's a, it's a really fun job. It really, it's, it's my dream job. I get to tinker with all kinds of bike stuff, really get nerdy, <laughs> geek out. Um, but it forces you to understand a lot of the basic science about what makes a bike work and what makes people go faster, um, while they're riding a bike. So it's, it's really, really a, an interesting job every day. Cool. I w I'm going to ask you a basic question. For our, our, our listeners, also our viewers, can you talk through the difference between tubular, clincher, and tubeless as it relates to wheels? Yes. Yeah. Um, that is a, a something that you might not come across if you're just getting into cycling. But um, 
through the years, through the decades, there have been different ways to attach a tire to a wheel. And way back in the day, started off with what we call sew-ups or tubular tires. Uh, basically, you have your rubber tire casing that has physically been sewn around a tube. Um, and then that whole contraption gets glued on to the outer diameter of your wheel. Okay. And it, it sounds kind of archaic, partly because it is really <laughs> it's archaic. archaic. <laughs> <laughs> You're literally using glue to attach your tire right. to the wheel. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of skill. And for that reason, really, you would only see it on um, professional bikes or on bikes of people who really took a lot of time to learn the craft of gluing a tire on or had enough to gain from the benefit. So tubulars are usually really lightweight. They're really a joy to use and ride, um, but they're kind of a pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. And they also cost a lot of money. If you flat a tubular, your option is to rip it off and re-glue a whole new one on. There's no replacing a tube. It's not an easy fix. It's not something you want to be stuck on the side of the road having to do. Um, so you still see them in the professional Peloton uh, because they're so lightweight, but all those... Uh, racers in the pro peloton have dedicated mechanics who spend most of the spring season gluing tubulars on to prep <laughs> for, the, for the races. Practice. Um, then for um, regular people like us, usually we'll opt for something like a clincher tire, which is what you've probably seen your whole life. It's a tire that kind of locks on to um, clincher hooks on the rim, and there's a tube inside that inflates to, to keep everything together. Um, in the past... Uh, well, in the past 20 years for mountain bikes or in the past five to 10 years for road bikes, there's become a new standard called tubeless, um, which kind of omits the, the tube part. So the interface, the, the, the lock between the tire and the rim is a nice airtight seal. So you just inflate, put air in there, and uh, the tire can hold air. You don't need the tube. There are a couple of benefits to that. Um, and by the way, it's what all other wheeled vehicles use so yeah. cars motorcycles right. airplanes they're already tubeless they've right. been tubeless for a long time um, this technology just took a while to trickle down into bicycles partly because um, bikes have this strange requirement where they have to be really lightweight because humans are not that powerful <laughs> you know, compared to a car engine i think that like the power to weight ratio is a hundred times off um, we're just really heavy and not very strong compared to a machine right um, so Bikes have to be light because we're super sensitive to that. And um, the tires have to be able to be serviced on the side of the road. Like you, you're not going to really see anyone on the side of the road replacing a tire. It might be the whole wheel on a car, but if you if you got to fix a flat on your car, you're taking it to a shop to replace the tire. Right. Otherwise, you got your spare wheel ready yeah. to go on. On a bike, it's a different story. You can't carry a whole spare wheel. Right. you got to be able to take the tire off, which means that that it's a really precise fit between the tire and the rim. You have to be able to take it off with your thumbs. Um, so for a lot of different reasons, tubeless is a is a recent modern advent for, for cyclists, and it's still um, becoming more popular. Um, so that's the, the latest generation of zip wheels are all tubeless compatible. You can just stick a tire without the tube. They hold air, they inflate. I hate the fluid. Yeah, right. sealant, it's kind of messy. Sealant? Yeah, it's messy. So it's you don't messy. really, but you didn't speak to sealant. So you don't actually need the sealant to, for the tubeless technology to work. For So for bicycles in their current state, you 99% of the time you need to have sealant. Okay. And there is, um, there is a tubeless standard that 
Mavic actually started a long time ago, um, where if you follow their standard, you should not require sealant, but no one really follows that standard anymore. Um, so yeah, 99% of the time you have to deal with this sticky, gross <laughs> sealant that fills in any gaps and in, in, imperfections in that airtight seal between the tire and the rim. It also helps if you get a puncture or a pinch flat in your tire, this sealant is supposed to kind of coagulate and fill in the small pinhole gaps so you can keep riding. When it works, it's awesome. You know, yeah, you, when you, it works, it's awesome. <laughs> it's like magic. <laughs> right. When it doesn't work, it can be a little frustrating. To and you end up throwing the tube right, in. Right. Yeah, right. Man, yeah. Oh, then you have all the sealant yeah. on he's, you. He's right. our, our resident, you know, tubeless does not work for him <laughs> on our ride. So, so I, yeah, I, I'll give it to you. It, it can be a pain in the butt when it doesn't work. It's improving every year. Tubeless gets better and better and better. And the idea is you're not going to have to deal with a flat as often with when you have tubeless. And hopefully that trade-off is in your net benefit. So you're going to have way fewer flats with tubeless. Um, and then the th you have to learn a new skill. Basically, it's seating a tubeless tire and learning how to apply the sealant and all that all that jazz. It's I would say once you learn it, it's not a whole lot different than learning how to install a tube. It's just a different skill. Yeah. And where you install tubeless. <laughs> Doing it in your household may not be the best idea. Do in it. the living room or the right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely a garage yeah. project for sure. Definitely. Um, the the sealant is usually a, a latex based sealant and it's just it's sticky. It's water you know it's water soluble so you can wipe it up with a wet rag. But until you have that wet rag you're just stuck in sticky Yeah you're stuff. stuck. You're yeah. stuck. So the interesting part for me when I bought my first set of zip wheels was the hookless technology. I didn't quite understand it. Um, I think I understand it now, but I'd love to hear from you what hookless is and the benefits of going hookless on your next set of wheels. Yes. So hookless is a critical new piece of tech in the in the industry in general because it gets you a couple of different benefits. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with hookless. Um, I alluded to clinch your tires previously. Um, the shape of your rim tire bed has these little overhangs called crochets or hooks um, that basically keep the tire on. Um, when you have that, the, the tire bead, the, there's a stiff bead running around your tire that kind of locks into this hook and keeps the tire on. With hookless, you have to rely on a different part of um, basically you're not relying on the hook of the rim to keep the tire on. You're relying on the stiffness and the strength of the bead in the tire to keep it on, which means it has to be a lot stronger and stiffer than the older tires. So you have this distinction of uh, a clincher tire and a tubeless tire that is compatible with a hookless rim. Um, this is the direction that the industry is moving because uh, it allows you to make a rim that is lighter, more aerodynamic, less expensive to manufacture and that usually that gets passed along to the customer so you get a better performing wheel for less money um, it's a little bit more environmentally friendly to manufacture there's fewer pieces of material that get consumed and scrapped um, it also has a couple of other benefits where it sits your tire beads a little bit wider which gives them a nice wide stance you can think of like the ready position for someone in, in soccer or football. They've got their feet planted wide. Yeah. They need to go left, right, and, and juke and jive. That's similar with this, this hookless tech. It puts the tire a little bit wider, and it can support lateral loads better. 
and there are a few subtle advantages to that but in general the the overview is you get a better performing tire um, for for any any average setup wow that's awesome can you talk to me about psi mm -hmm. right because when i when i when i bought my my zip wheels i was like wait so i'm not 90 anymore <laughs> this this is weird um and i talked to a lot of people that are trying to understand lower psi can you just talk through a little bit why lower psi may not be as dangerous as people think it is for sure um anyone who's ridden a road bike if you're of the of the past i don't know 20 years you picked up road cycling you probably have it in your head that you want to run your road tires at 100 psi or somewhere around there um, and what we're learning with this advent of hookless and wider rims is lower pressures can offer a lot of different benefits. For one, it can actually make you go a little bit faster. Um, we need to take a cue from some of the mountain bike uh, aficionados who have been uh, scrutinizing their tire pressure for decades already. You talk to any mountain biker and they'll know the difference between 23 PSI and 24 PSI on their tires. <laughs> yeah. They're, you know, they're dialing it into within a 10th of a PSI. They understand how that impacts their ride, how it affects their ability to clear obstacles or hit an obstacle and not be totally thrown off their course. Um, and on a, on a road bike, there are a lot of the same considerations you need to take. Um, when you have a bigger tire or a wider tire, don't require as high of a PSI to support your weight. And if you're not pumped up to the max, it's more comfortable. You get over obstacles uh, much more comfortably with your tires keeping in contact with the ground so you get better control. Um, and it ends up being a little bit faster over rough surfaces. So if you can imagine your tires jacked up to 120 PSI, you're going to be able to feel every pebble in yeah. the road. Yeah. It's like you're basically just grazing yourself across the pavement. Um, and it feels really fast when you have it pumped up to 120 PSI because you have the sensation of all this road texture. You can feel the buzz and you can feel yourself going super fast. Actually, you're sapping a little bit of energy. Every time you hit a little rock or crack in the road, your body has to go up and down and over that obstacle. Right. Even if it's a few millimeters tall, it takes energy to lift yourself up and over. So what you can do is lower your pressure and instead of you, your whole 150, 180, 200 pounds, whatever, getting over this obstacle, your tire just compresses a few millimeters and you stay the same level above the ground. Saving some energy. You save a lot of energy. Which is important. Now, can you talk about the opposite end of overinflating your tires from a hazard perspective with zip wheels, right? Sure. Yeah. So I was trying to describe the mechanical interface of a clincher tire and a clincher rim with a hookless tire and a hookless uh, rim. Um, the thing that's holding the tire on is the bead of the tire. And um, there is a limit of 72.5 PSI for any hookless tire and rim system. Um, you cannot exceed that. And this limit is specified by the International um, Standards Organization, ISO. And they've set that as kind of like a, a catch-all safety limit. Of course, the tire physically can go higher safely, but because there are so many different variables going on with rider weight, uh, rider speeds, different manufacturing tolerances, they set, they've had to agree on one 
set PSI to make sure that everyone was compatible and everyone can, can maintain that pressure safely. So if you're on a hookless rim with a hookless compatible tire, 72 and a half PSI is the maximum you should ever pump to. And the tire size and the rim dimensions are already set such that for 99% of riders, 73 PSI is more than enough pressure to support you and have a good experience riding the bike. Yeah, we suggest that every, like, you know, in your home, wherever you're going to be taken off from, you get a pump that actually has a gauge on it, um, just so you could tell. I, I, I think you should check that frequently anyway. Really? Yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter what type of tire But also have. going to this RAM website, putting in your weight, which will you have, and understanding, if you are if you have hookless, understanding what your PSI is. Your tire pressure calculator. That's yeah. the tire pressure calculator that's on the uh, SRAM website. Yeah. 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 So yeah. before every ride, it's a great idea to check your pressure. Um, sometimes you have a, a slow leak that'll be fine for the duration of your ride, but overnight or if you haven't ridden your bike in a week, um, shouldn't be the case, but, you know, <laughs> sometimes, you, sometimes you need a break. Get out there, right? um, you might be 10, 20 PSI lower than what you should be. So always for sure, check your pressure with a pump or we have um, wireless tire whiz um, pressure monitors that are pretty nifty um, and convenient. But um, check your pressure. You can find the uh, the appropriate pressure on one of our, our, our website has a tire pressure calculator where you plug in some parameters about your bike, rider weight, and the type of riding that you're doing. And it'll spit out a recommendation for an optimum pressure for that specific type of riding. Um, and it usually, it, it gets you in, in the range. It might be a few PSI high or low, depending on your preferences. But if you're new to finding uh, tire pressure, this will definitely get you in the ballpark and you can adjust safely up and down from there. Yeah, there's actually, a, we have a friend, his name is Drew. Um, we used to call him two flats. <laughs> two flats. We call him two flats. Because every ride, he would get two flats. True stool. And he um, purchased in last year the, the 303S. Uh-huh. But he didn't know that you needed a hookless tire to go with the Uh-oh. hookless rim. So he was just, I like this tire. I've been riding this tire. I'm going to use it. And we could not figure out for the life of us why did he keep getting flats? Like, it was just ridiculous. Like, he would get so many flats. I remember we went to a bike shop. They didn't even know, right? Like, so, you know, your your point, I just want to amplify that you have to definitely make sure that you have a tire that is actually compatible with the hookless rim. So you need to make sure that, that that's the case. Yeah, and th- that's a good point. Thanks for reiterating that. Um, it's been something that we've had to concentrate on is education um, because this hookless technology is so new, there are a lot of people that don't realize that the tire has to be compatible with a hookless rim. And it'll say on the side of the tire, if it's not, it'll say not compatible with TSS or, or hookless. TSS is tubeless straight side, which is the technical term for a, for a hookless rim. Um, but we believe so strongly in the benefits of hookless that we're pushing this new technology and we're trying our best to educate people, shops included, um, in the requirements to, to operate it properly and also why it's beneficial. And again, you get a better performing product for cheaper, higher value to the end customer. And it's noticeable. I, I remember when we were in prototyping phases of this new platform of wheel, it was a big risk for our team to bring this forward because it wasn't really widely adopted and it's not compatible with every single tire. So. Right 
that is a perceived inconvenience to the customer. But we knew once you ride it and once you feel how this wheel performs with a tubeless tire, there's hands down, this is the future of road cycling. It's awesome. Can you talk through why uh, all carbon is not created equal? All carbon isn't good carbon. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I, <laughs> We're going to nerd out a little bit, Dave. Yeah, Come on, that's why we have you here, man. We're going to nerd out. We're going to nerd out a little bit. Let's go. Do you go. Let's <laughs> well, go. Well, because I know for a lot of listeners uh, and some of the folks that we know in the cycling community, they have chosen to go with other brands um, that, uh, you know, like that they may have gotten off some website mm-hmm. and the, their cost-effective carbon wheels. Subjective, right? It's, you know, like. So can you just talk through like why, why you may not want to go with this offshore carbon wheel versus something that's handmade right here in the good US of A? Yeah, absolutely. So initially you can look at the specs of the wheel and you can compare this one weighs X grams, this one weighs more or less. Um, here are the reviews that tell me other people like it. But ultimately what you're buying into when you get a reputable brand like Zip is there is a lot of testing and research that goes in behind the products where we verify that the product performs to the safety standards that it needs to. It does what we say it does in our in our marketing and advertising. Um, and there's been a lot of effort that goes into developing that product. Um, so I would say that the, the testing and development part that goes into the stuff that we make and sell is a huge component of our costs. Um, and if you're some random shop that's selling um, that other brand, that other brand, or, you know, <laughs> actually, I would say that no brand stuff, or not, not yeah. a well-known brand, they probably haven't put in the time and energy and and resources into verifying that their stuff performs and is safe. Um, and if you're if it's a reputable brand, you probably have nothing to worry about. If it's some some brand that could could pack up shop and disappear tomorrow, you probably want to avoid those. Um, and there are a dime a dozen on eBay or online. Anywhere. Even Amazon in some instances. Amazon, yeah, yeah. Amazon has some random. So You're putting your safety at risk a little bit. Well, yeah, and I, I don't want to be a fear monger, but you want to pick, buy from a brand that has something to lose, like that has skin in the game and they want to stick around for a while. Yeah. Um, they're going to put in the effort to make sure that everything is going well with the stuff they're selling. Um, on the clincher side of of what Zip used to sell. Now we're moving towards disc brake, but for a long time, everyone was riding rim brake wheels. And on a rim brake wheel, the stopping power comes from the friction between your brakes and the actual carbon surface of a rim, which generates a lot of heat. Mm-hmm. And so we had to put in a ton of research. We actually um, partnered up with our carbon supplier to develop a specific resin. The resin is what basically glues all the fibers in your carbon fiber wheel together. Um, A resin that could withstand the temperatures generated during braking. And we're talking like over 600 degrees Fahrenheit. When you're you're really puckering and you're grabbing the brakes hard, you can get red hot on there. And if your resin isn't formulated just right to be able to withstand these hot temperatures, your wheel can literally melt. And you see this on some um, races and rides that are pretty hilly. People will be going down a hill. They might not be that uh, comfortable at high speed, so they drag their brakes. And over time, over the course of the descent, that wheel starts to heat up and heat up and heat up, mm-hmm. and eventually it'll deform and the tire pressure will fail the wheel, which is a terrible outcome. 
Um, but for a long time, 10, 15 years ago, there were a lot of brands that didn't really have a handle on this. We happened to be the first one that had bomb proof, high temperature resistant resin um, to take care of that. Nowadays, I think a lot of more, a lot more brands have caught on. Um, and with the advent of disc brakes, it becomes less of an issue. Uh, there's no heat getting put into a disc brake rim. So what that allows us to do at Zip as, as engineers developing rims is there are certain, certain properties of that high temperature resin um, that allow it to be temperature resistant, but also detract on some other uh, characteristics, like it's not quite as impact resistant as low temperature okay. resins. So we can trade out now for a lower temperature resin, but it's a little bit more rubbery and impact resistant to lighten up our wheels. And that's what we've seen over the past uh, generation of wheels, the 303 that we just launched two years ago or so, and all the subsequent models we've launched, launched since then are like 250 to 300 grams lighter per wheel set. And a lot of that is because of the, the hookless technology. Um, and some of it's with the better impact resistance we get from our new resin formulations. Well, I say to myself, I go any lighter. I'm just going to float. Well, I, I, have, I have a question for you, Dave. So for a beginner, so there, let's play cyclists in two buckets. You have your beginners and then you have your people that just ride, that they're just more advanced, right? Your beginner slash intermediates, then you have your advanced folks. So for the beginners, you know, once you buy your bike, you know, and you're enjoying it, you realize you're going to ride it more. Now you want to do some upgrades. Are wheels good to be the first upgrade that you make on your bike to improve your riding experience that i mean that is a, a, a awesome debate to have to have if, <laughs> if you're choosing what goodies to put on your bike um that i'll give you the boring answer that's the <laughs> correct answer is pay for a bike fit establish a relationship with your local you heard what he said <laughs> we say it often <laughs> say it again dave make friends with your bike shop <laughs> schedule a bike fit there it is. Um, yeah. So the, the, our big philosophy for designing wheels that make you go fast, um, it's called total system efficiency. Wow. The premise is there are there's only a, a couple of things that push you down the road. Namely, it's the person on the bike. That's the engine. And there are a whole host of things that slow you down. First, you want to work on the engine. And your engine's going to work a lot better if it's set up properly on your bike. Cycling is an endurance sport. You're going to spend hours and hours, hopefully, on your bike. You don't want an overuse injury. Uh, you want to sit on your saddle comfortably. You're not going to be cursing at your at your bike saddle if you have a proper bike fit. And you're going to have more fun in the long run if you sit down with a proper fit professional and get your bike set up. Past that, you start to talk about what to do with your gear, with your physical bike. Wheels are definitely uh, one of the biggest impact things you can make. Depending on the, the discipline that you're doing, the wheels can be the biggest impact you make. And another thing that's super important, often overlooked, it's not really that sexy, but tires. Tires and tire pressure can have an enormous impact on uh, how fast you go, but also whether or not you make it to the end of the, the event without having a flat or ha mm. having to stop and get off your bike. Um, I remember I was doing... When I was a little kid, I did a race uh, on Wall Street in Manhattan, mm -hmm. and it downpoured. And I didn't know anything. I had my tires up to 120 psi, whatever. And you have all those those white paint crosswalks. Mm -hmm. Oh, third lap, was, I was on the ground. Yeah, right? it was slippery. And that was basically because I had the wrong tire, wrong tire pressure. That was that simple. 
I could have kept racing if I had paid attention to my tire and, yeah. and pressure. So um, tires and wheels are definitely some of the, the biggest impact you'll have on the bike. Um, it can affect handling, speed, comfort. Um, you'll notice it pretty quickly once you once you upgrade. Okay, so now for the more advanced folks, we know that you're there. We know that you watch. We, we, this is for you. This is for you. So, Dave, so there are other manufacturers. For example, Hunt is is a great brand. Uh, they're known for their white papers, mm-hmm. right? And they and they particularly now moving away from rim to disc. It kind of levels the playing field a little bit because now that brake track tech that you were talking about and that engineering that goes into that, they're like, oh, great. Now we don't have to compete with Zip with that, right? Now we can compete on shape and all these other components. So what do you think about brands like, not necessarily think, but when you stack up what you guys are doing here at Zip with what Hunt does, Boyd, Far Sports, for some of those lower cost brands, for those of us that race road or may do some other disciplines like uh, uh, gravel, that but the fast gravel, mm-hmm. right? Whereby speed really matters, um, but cost because you're not you're not sponsored, right? So right. you still have to go out and buy your own wheel. So what are, what are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I mean, no no disrespect to any of those brands, they definitely are uh, turning up the temperature in the industry across the board, which is beneficial for consumers and riders. Um, they make a great product. They have a reputable brand. Um, what they don't do, none of those brands manufacture in-house and one of the oh say it again dave (laughs) one of the strategies that that zip and sram has taken is we have all of our manufacturing in-house the building that we're in right now is where we make all of our rims it's also where all of the marketing the engineering we have our own manufacturing engineers it's all under one roof and that strategy allows us to iterate and change um, our product at lightning speed. It also means that um, new technology breakthroughs happen more easily. So if someone has an idea, we don't have to wait until our supplier can make that thing. We develop the capability to make that thing. We um we took a tour earlier, it was a beautiful plant. Um, and I just want you to speak to this fact that when we're downstairs, we're watching people actually mold and shape the wheel so these by things hand. Are, yeah these things are, are done in the factory by hand um by by a great workforce you met a couple of people downstairs like i'm not sure if other companies are doing that or and even if they are okay but let's highlight that right now like let let people know that there's people downstairs right now making making For those sure. wheels when i so a little story like coming out of out of college i have I had a mechanical engineering degree you know you think you know a thing or two um, I thought that designing stuff was you know, engineering. The hard part of engineering is making stuff. Designing stuff is 5% of the effort. 95% of the effort is figuring out how to make it, how to make it right every time. And so really a, a lot of what goes on in this facility is figuring out how to get skilled people to make these wheels. And it's intricate. Like there's a lot of labor that goes into making every single wheel. Carbon fiber, largely across the whole industry, is a it's a manual process. It requires people with really, really fine dexterity to lay these different layers of carbon fiber exactly where they need to be um, to make a strong part and a, and a lightweight part. So that is a huge investment on our part, and it's what we spend most of our effort on is um, getting our manufacturing right. And 
and training the people, making sure that they have everything they need to perform. Like really, it is a performance to make this this intricate, super lightweight, optimized rim. Every day they come in and they do their job. It's awesome. Yeah, the beauty about uh, the plant was seeing the like you you ever watch a, someone bake something and you yes, just see like yes. the love the love that goes it. into it yeah you know yeah. like you didn't like they know i'm i'm huge on like energy right when i walk into a room and i feel like the energy is off i'm like get me out of here <laughs> but that's not what i felt down there i felt like yo these people are taking you know a product and they truly care about it you know like the energy felt positive like Yo, we really care about the end result. Like if they're at the beginning of the process and they're, you know, working with the beginning parts of the carbon process or if they're at the end and they're putting the zip sticker on the wheel. That's like, baked on, by the way. It is baked yeah, on. Yeah, it's not like, a, oh, yeah, let me just vinyl. Vinyl it on. It's, no. it's actually baked on. So like every part of the process, you felt like someone truly cared about the end result. And that's awesome. Bro, bro was super meticulous with the um when he was chewing the wheels yeah. and his spoke yeah. count. Yeah, that was crazy. That's a hard wow. job to wheel building. Yeah, I mean, uh, the workforce here, these people have been around this factory for a long time, you know, decades. Uh, th there are some that have been here since the beginning of Zip when we were, you know, two buildings prior to this fancy building. You know, <laughs> it was like a little submarine basically. But yeah, the the workforce has been here. They're dedicated to what they're doing, and they're really really good at it. Yeah, it's not it, it, it's not like this gazillion like person conglomerate. It still gives you a family atmosphere. Family feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, and, you know? know, what I would say, the analogy that I would draw to, first, this isn't like 1960s manufacturing. This is state-of-the-art state modern the manufacturing. But yeah. what I would like everyone to think about is when you think about fashion and brand, fashion brands, right? Because fashion does a great job of marketing to us about why having something be handmade is better or hand sewn is better than maybe just purely running through something that's automated right because certain fabrics require a certain level of care when they're being brought together and i'm saying i'm saying that to say that i feel that same energy here Right. So yeah. when they're making their product, our wheels for us to ride on, whether it's the Firecrest brand or the NSW brand, it you can feel that level of like couture, like craftsmanship. Yeah, that's hot. It's high like, level for real. That's a that's a great way yeah. of explaining it. Is it definitely gave you a couture vibe? Yeah. Right. You yeah. know, uh, when you think about like like denim, for yeah. example, yeah. you know, like there's denim that just goes through this little machine but when you get salvaged denim like salvaged japanese denim and it's truly dyed yes in a barrel that is different that's different yeah and that's what it's not gonna hit the same as when you just go by you know wherever to just yeah. buy some jeans like it, it just doesn't it doesn't yeah. wear the same it doesn't last the same way it costs more right but what you get out of the product over time yeah. Can't be matched. Yeah. And it makes you feel a lot, you know, you know like you, you you truly do want a will that will last you through more than just one bike. Yes. You know, like you want a will like that will be great for road. And then if you make the decision to go to gravel, you can transfer that wheel over that will fit on a gravel tire. You know, like you want to be able to get a few options out of a wheel. Yeah. Or if you're a roadie and you race, right? Like you're a hardcore 
criterion racer, right? Like you want to know that you have the fastest wheel and fastest wheel that Dave is saying isn't just shape. Yeah. Right now he's with TSC. You're talking about hysteresis or as you said, when you ride over imperfect surfaces, right? Like how well the wheel uh, absorbs that and improves your your energy, I guess, right? Like the savings of the energy. There's, it's a whole, the, your bike is an entire system and you need to optimize the whole thing, not yep. just one little aspect to go as fast as possible. What you're saying about uh, kind of the bespoke nature of manufacturing is totally right. If we could automate this stuff, we would have. The fact of the matter is it's just so intricate mm. and difficult to put together that there's no way that a robot could do what's happening in this factory. Yeah, um, And it, really the way to think about it is like what we're making is the same stuff that the world tour pro tour guys and girls are are riding this is akin to like a part of an f1 car like oh, this yes. is this yes. is the high yes. end racing stuff yes um that it you know it's not like a sports car that is fast it is the same stuff that goes into the highest level of racing across the world we saw that with the quality checks we <laughs> there's a bin downstairs and i don't know if i'm giving away secrets but there's a bin downstairs it says hold but it was a to us. It was a perfect NSW perfect wheel. wheel. Had a perfect wheel. A little, perfect. A little baby scratch on it. Right. Baby like, wait, 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 wait. So does this <laughs> impact the integrity of the wheel? Like, no. no. Aesthetically, yeah. it is off. And that's it. By this eyelash. And they, we were like, what? And they pulled it. They so pulled that, it. So there's a whole bin of, like of those. Um, just speak to the quality control that you guys are using. Here. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that that is again, if manufacturing is the hardest part about making these wheels, quality is the hardest part of manufacturing. And there is a certain standard that people expect out of a, a $1,900 set of wheels or a, or a $3,600 set of wheels. It has to look good. And it has to, like, not only does it have to perform well, but it has to look hot. Like, yeah. Yep. It, yeah. When you're paying that much money, you want it to look good. I mean, again, going back to, say, a sports car, if you were buying an F1 car, let's say you could, <laughs> you'd want it to look fresh yes yes true. yes I mean, that I'll is right that little scratch <laughs> right exactly one, exactly <laughs> right but no but no. but you know you you hold up that wheel and you look at it right you're like this is my nsw or this is my 303 right. or 404 yeah right? and yeah. and the the higher the expectation someone has about the thing they're buying the the more they're going to care about those little details yeah so really you you have to get it right if you want people to respect the brand and to come back and, and buy more stuff. So when I was researching buying a, a wheel, you know, obviously I looked at all the brands. Um, and the one that stuck out when I spoke with people in bike shops and mechanics was specifically the Zip 303 Firecrest. Can you talk about why, and, and maybe it's not, but it sounds like that's like the staple or the most popular wheel and, and why that wheel stands out just a little bit more than some of the other ones. Sure. Yeah. Um, it is a very well rounded product that is suitable for a lot of different environments, but it does all of them really, really well. So it's incredibly lightweight, um, coming out of the box, it's going to be about a 1360 gram wheel set. That's, 200 plus grams lighter than the previous generation 303 we used to make like three three years ago um, so it's super competitive in weight it also has a pretty wide tire bed we have a 25 millimeter internal tire bed and for for context five years ago at the average tire bed width would have been 17 to 19 millimeters 
we've ballooned that out because of the the hookless and tubeless straight side rim geometry up to 25 millimeters um, which is suitable for mountain bike application if you want it to <laughs> don't recommend it but that's what that's what a mountain bike tire or a mountain bike rim would have been but definitely gravel though right for sure gravel yeah, yeah. it's perfect for gravel uh, again it's suitable for lower pressures larger tires on the road i actually raced it as a crit wheel for a full season it was my favorite crit wheel that i raced on just feels super snappy you can take lines in a corner that no one else can take because everyone else is skipping off you know pot manhole covers potholes mm, whatever you yeah. just roll through everything pick your line and your your tire sticks it's awesome so in general the, the the 303 has broad appeal it it fits a lot of different applications and it does it all very well um, some of the other models we make like the 404 808 858 those are excellent at their lane but they're not as versatile gotcha Okay. Now I just threw uh thirties on my zip three oh three firecrest and the mechanic said you're actually faster on a wider tire than you are on like a twenty six, a twenty five or a twenty six. Can we debunk that or not? Yeah, um so it, it all depends on the context of where and how you're riding. Uh the thing that I love about our total system efficiency message is that it fits from track cycling indoors to enduro mountain biking and everything between, you could apply this TSC, total system efficiency philosophy, and it'll steer you in the right direction. So if you're on chunky asphalt streets that have cracks and potholes and stuff, what I was talking about earlier, you're going to want to run lower pressures to be able to just glide over those imperfections. A larger tire allows you to run lower pressure. So the rougher the surface you're riding on, you're going to run, run lower pressures until you can't run any lower pressures on that tire, and then you upgrade to the next bigger tire size. So if you're going to race on a velodrome, I wouldn't recommend 30-millimeter tires. But if you're riding around on a mixed surface, maybe hitting a little bit of dirt here and there, a 30-millimeter tire, which is bigger than you would typically choose for road, you can run that at lower pressures, and that's actually going to make you go faster in a lot of different scenarios. Um, another aspect uh, that makes bigger tires a little bit faster is you, you said the word earlier hysteresis so every time every second that you're riding there's a little squashed patch of tire called the contact patch which is flat against the road if you can picture your tire a little point on your tire rolling over and over and over every time it comes to the bottom of your of your wheel it'll get squashed flat and then it'll bounce back into a round shape that's happening fast enough that when it gets compressed, it takes energy to flatten it. And then when it bounces back round, it releases a little bit of energy, but it doesn't release the same amount it took to flatten it. So that difference, it, it takes more energy to flatten it than it gives back when it bounces round. That difference is what's sapping energy in what we call tire hysteresis. So when you run a super skinny tire, uh, your tire has to squash flat to support your weight. And the skinnier the tire, the longer that contact patch is going to be. And the more severe your tire is going to have to deform to create a flat surface. As you get bigger in tire size, that contact patch shortens and gets fatter, wider. Um, and the flat part of your contact patch doesn't deform the rubber as sharply or as severely. So you're losing less energy to this hysteresis. Now, 
rolling resistance isn't the only thing slowing you down. There's aerodynamics, there's gravity, all these other, we have four, four buckets we call them. Um, you have aerodynamics, rolling resistance, vibration, and gravity. You have to weigh all of those together as the system to determine what's gonna be your optimum, what's gonna make you go the fastest. So if you're on a gravel ride, aerodynamics may be the most important factor, but it's not gonna be as important as say a time trial, where time trial, easy, it's easy to say that aerodynamics is the most important thing to concentrate when you're going 25 plus miles an hour. If you're on a rough road going 15 miles an hour, vibration loss now plays a much bigger role than it would on a time trial bike and you need to pay more attention to your tire size and tire pressure. So that's not to say that aerodynamics doesn't matter in gravel. It just isn't your biggest opportunity to go faster anymore. Gotcha. Yeah. And you know what's great about that, Chad? That's a great question. Um, because for all of you that are listening or, and or watching, don't be afraid to try a 30 mil tire. Right. Or 28 mil tire. We don't have to do now what was done by our uncles or aunties or people in the past, right? Like technology has moved so much, right? Like we need to start thinking about how we're cycling now and what can improve our level of enjoyments on, on our bike, right? Like, so try that 30 mil tire, try that 32 mil tire, try that 28 mil tire. Even those of you guys that race gals and guys, try that 28, try yeah. that 28 mil tire, right? <laughs> Yeah, Chris, good point, because I think what I learned about me as a cyclist and, and what I enjoy most is not a 60. Yes, Chad cannot run 60s. Ak and I are good with 60s. Yeah, we I love can, 60s. Chad is like, no bueno. Yeah, I cannot run <laughs> 60s. So you will not see me in a, in a what, in, in, uh, what's the biggest one that Zip has? The A58. Yes. yes. You not, not but that's me? like an 80, though. That's, that's an like 80. Massive. And we're uh, talking about for just to take a step back. Depth. We're talking about the wheel depth, yeah, the, the depth wheel of the depth, wheel, the thickness yeah. of the wheel. They look super fresh, though. They look very sexy, <laughs> super sexy. But yeah. I realize how I like to ride. It takes too much to spin up on sixties for me, mm -hmm. based on the depth. So, can you talk through why the based on the terrain, why someone may benefit? From like a 303 or a 353 versus a 454 or an 858. Yeah. And it, again, you can go back to the total system efficiency philosophy that I was referring to earlier, where we're looking for the optimum mix of components and your, and your setup to go as fast as possible for a given environment. And let's say you're doing a time trial and your speeds are gonna be a little bit faster than say gravel or, or uh, road riding in general, you might be going close to 25 miles an hour or over if you're a baller. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, at those speeds, aerodynamics is 90% of what's slowing you down. So you're looking for every edge, every advantage you can find to reduce your aerodynamic drag. And a deeper cross-section rim is going to produce less drag um, so for faster speeds, that's what you want to look for. The drawback in these deeper section rims is they're heavier. Mm. Um, and they're also a little bit stiffer. Like they, they transfer more road vibration up through, through the rim because the cross section is, is a, a lot bigger. Um, so the trade-off is you're gaining weight for this aerodynamic advantage, but it turns out that in most cases, um, even at slower speeds around 20 miles an hour, aerodynamics is still the the biggest thing that's slowing you down. Right. So I, you can do a calculation it, uh, to find out what the gradient of hill that you'd be having to go up b 
before weight matters more than aerodynamics. Um, and it will change depending on what your power output is. So that the higher your power output, it would take a steeper gradient for weight to matter more. But in general, it's somewhere around a 5% grade, 5 to 6%, which is really steep. If you've ever yeah. paid attention. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like here, that's, a, that's the range where you're out yeah. of the saddle. Okay. So for those of us that ride with us, all, all of our Tuesday night riders or our Wednesday night riders that are in Central Park, Harlem Hill is greater yep. than 5%. Yes, yes. Right? Summit Avenue Hill is greater than 5%. Yeah. So, Dave, I can. what we noticed this past weekend um, at the Criterion Race was that there were some folks that were running 60 to 80 mil depth wheels and they were not performing not well at all versus someone that had maybe a 50 or six like or yeah, lower yeah yeah, yeah mama or, had or the, lower. she had the plates on she had the 80s she, she yeah had, and when and she went past it chad and i were saying it sounds so good it sounded so good it sounded so good but we were like was, every time out of every corner she was laboring yeah. yeah yeah um so there are a couple of components that people would a couple of reasons why people would choose a deeper section wheel in a crit Crits are pretty fast. You know, you can easily average 28, 30 miles an hour because you have a pack. Everyone's able to hide except for the front five, 10 people. Um, but when you're in the pack, you're also less exposed to wind. If you're going to be off in a breakaway, you're definitely going super fast where aero wheels would matter. Um, but if you're not a breakaway specialist, you're going to be really pumping as hard as you can out of every single corner in a crit. Um, you're going to be sprinting almost to the max at every corner. And in those scenarios, there is um, a penalty for added weight on the wheels. There's a thing called rotational moment of inertia um, where it's it's measuring how that's a measure of how hard the wheel is to accelerate when you spin it. Um, it doesn't amount to a huge amount of power because wheels in general are, are pretty lightweight. Even the heavier ones um, on the spectrum of things, they're, they're not that much heavier than the light ones when it comes to rotational moment of inertia, but you definitely feel it. And that can be a mental block where you just feel like you're dragging out of every corner. It can get tiring over and over and over again. So typically people will, will go a little bit deeper in crits and deeper on the, the rim sections because they're trying to gain those aerodynamic advantages, especially if you're someone looking to get into a small breakaway, you want to be paying attention to your aerodynamics on a crit bike. Um, if you're a, a sprinting specialist who likes to hide out in the pack and you're really worried about getting that snap um, when the moment counts, you right. might you might go for a lighter wheel set. You probably still want some aerodynamics because at some point in the race, you're going to hopefully be out front. Um, maybe not until the end when it matters. Yeah, right. right. But yeah, so if you're a sprinting specialist, you might go for something like a, a 404, which is a 58 millimeter depth, a mid-range. Um, or if you're a smaller rider, maybe a 303. But... Um, yeah, definitely something that you can perceive that gotcha. feels like it's dragging you down. If you do the calculation to, to see how many watts a heavier wheel is sapping versus a lighter wheel, it comes out pretty small. Um, but that's that's the crazy thing about humans is that they are very qualitative in their senses. They can, they can tell you. That, that perceptual impact. I can't give you a number, but I, I know yeah, I, I can, can feel I, it. Right, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Exactly. And that's what I was trying to explain yes. to them with yes. my 60s is like, they're looking at me like, Chad, but something's wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Dave, uh, I want to throw out a few different scenarios for our non-pro cyclists. And if you could just make some very high-level recommendations 
for those folks, uh, that would be awesome. And I'd love to start out with someone that's a casual rider. They're doing 30 to 40 miles a ride, less than a thousand feet of elevation. What wheel would you recommend? Average gradient is three and a half. Um, I would I would recommend something mid-range like a 404. Okay. So you're going to get the aerodynamic benefit from that deeper 58 millimeter cross section, um, but it's a good blend between aero and weight and handling. Uh, if you're say less than a thousand feet of climbing over 40 miles, um, you might be exposed to some gusty cross section mm, winds. That happens. Yep. Um, in which case you don't want an 808. That those can be a little bit challenging to handle, especially for an intermediate level rider. Um, but the 404 is a, is a great compromise between aero handling and weight. But that and if that moment of inertia kind of perceptually bogs you down, I'm assuming a 303 would be the... Yeah, for sure. It's going to feel snappier. Um, for that particular aspect, I would probably see if you can suspend your uh, your the, this sensation or this belief that it's, it's slowing you down a whole bunch um, because there are a lot of gains to be made. So when you're accelerating, um, you're going to be affected by this moment of inertia. But for 99% of the rest of the ride, you're going to be benefiting from the aero benefit mm. of the wheels. So even if it feels like it's slowing you down while you're trying to sprint, and that feels terrible. Um, just think about all the gains you're going to be getting for the rest of the ride. When right. You have these aero wheels. Awesome. Right. Uh, what about someone that's like in Miami and is 0% zero percent zero elevation? Yeah, zero it's elevation. It's just flat and hot. They're yeah. trying to stay in the pack, you know. Um, they're they're doing like fifty mile rides. What what sort of wheel would you recommend? And not a race, but like a like you know, like a, a moderately fast group ride. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, in that case, there are a lot of trade offs. It kind of depends on your your riding style. If you want to be animating the group and going out the front, maybe you get a deeper set of wheels so you can stay out the front a little longer, make people chase a little harder with some eight oh eights. Um, I know Miami is on the coast. You probably get some good wind. Yeah, you do out do there. It. Definitely do. Um, but if you're someone that likes to sit in the pack and, and hang out with your buddies, then I'd go back to the, the 404 combo. That's that's a great okay. uh, middle ground there. So that awesome. 404 is like the sweet spot. Yeah. I For, thought it was a 303, well, but it sounded uh, like the 404. If you're on asphalt, I would call the 404 the sweet spot. If okay. you're kind of on all road or yeah. mixed or gravel, then the 303 is going to be the, gotcha. the winner there. Okay. When we were downstairs, um, <laughs> uh uh, they were showing us a room that had frosted glass. It looked a little top secret. Oh, yeah. They were telling me we couldn't go in there. So I know you can't speak to exactly what goes on, but but can you give us a hint as, as to what Zip is working on coming up next? Uh, you know, that's an ongoing struggle. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so that's my job. Every day, show up, try to try to make a better mousetrap. Um, you know, it, it's fun because we have, it, within those four walls, uh, we can screw up and and doesn't really matter because it's not a thing until it gets out of that wall right. out of those walls no there's no expectation that we're going to produce something until it leaves those four walls so the saying that we have is hurry up and fail we try crazy stuff if it doesn't work we celebrate because it means we we didn't get very far before you know we didn't waste any money and time on this yeah. dumb and you idea. took something else off the list anyway so right yeah so we're whittling out all these ideas trying to find the winners trying to sift for gold um but in that AD lab, the advanced development lab, uh, it's like a mini factory. So we have all of the resources and all the equipment we would need to be self-sufficient, produce rims um, or any anything else on the bike. Uh, and we spend every day, all day, trying to 
uh, experiment and tinker and come up with, with new fresh ideas for what the next thing would be. And I would also add that that's the same thing that every team in here is trying to do. So we have a couple of different engineering teams that are working on project products and projects that are in various states of completeness. And there could be a breakthrough coming out of one of those teams as well. They may have an aha moment and that, that fresh idea gets into the project they're working in. Um, the, the main difference is that the people in the AD lab are dedicated just to that. The other engineering teams have other responsibilities that they're usually most of their time is spent um, bringing a good idea to life, right? They, they start with a good idea and, and turn it into a real product. Um, we're the ones messing around with maybe crazy ideas. <laughs> and I, I want to piggyback on that one a little bit because on the door it says NSW. We've been talking a lot about the Firecrest. We've mentioned NSW, but what is NSW? What does it mean for Zip? And how is it differentiated from Firecrest? Yeah, so we have three three tiers of product at Zip. Um, it starts off at, at the bottom with our S series, the 303 S. Uh, call that the best value. So best bang for your buck. If you're getting into the sport, look to the 303 S. It's going to be a really big upgrade to whatever came on your bike, um, but it's not going to break the bank. And then Firecrest is our mid-tier, uh, which is going to be uh, a really great race quality product um it's a it's a premium product but then if you have you know cost money no object uh you want the very nicest that we can make we have nest speed weaponry and nsw where uh we basically give it everything we have and make the nicest best stuff so nsw products uh, include all of our sawtooth profile rims they have the wavy um, pattern all the graphics are uh, printed directly under the rim, so that's super lightweight. It gives you the best aerodynamics, looks the coolest. Also, it's customizable. Um, so everything that goes into the NSW product is top tier, the best that we have available. doesn't matter what it costs us pr to produce it. We're just going to go after uh, the latest and greatest technology. It's customizable? Um, we so we. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Talk to us, Dave. <laughs> I, I should clarify. I don't think that we offer that as a standard um, uh, product offering. But um, whenever we want to do special uh, graphics for our professional athletes, we can give gotcha. it special treatments to highlight whoever it is. Um, we do some promos as well. We're in Indianapolis. This is the racing capital of the world, where the Indy 500 takes place. A lot of race car drivers will ride zip products and sometimes we'll we'll give them a little uh, cool custom graphic treatment on some of their stuff as well wait speaking of cool custom graphic treatment oh, man. look what we were presented with <laughs> this is straight from the factory baby we got this today <laughs> i cried y'all i cried look at that oh, man that's beautiful did you look at this this is awesome. I definitely shed a tear. Yes, this is this is great. So I did. this is this is a disc, yes, and it does have the dimplings, but this is the disc that would be on a time trial bike, right? Yes, yeah, so this is our Super Nine disc, which is the fastest wheel that we make. Disc wheel usually it goes on the it only goes on the rear wheel for a time trial bike or a track bike. Um, I can still smell the fresh ink. <laughs> but yeah, yes, you guys are looking pretty awesome on yeah, that. Yeah, this is, this is <laughs> cool. This is Square. This is yes. Times Square. Shout yeah. out to Dahan. Dahan, um, who shot this for us. Our photographer for this. Yeah. That's 
awesome. Yeah, this is all, yeah. this is awesome. So thank you guys so much for this. This was this was great. Thank you, you so much. For us. You guys have a spot for it in mind? We're going to find one. I know Chad, Chad, Chad is definitely going to find something for it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to be the one. <laughs> We're throwing it over to Chad. Chad's going to figure it out. <laughs> but, oh, Dave, but thank you so much yeah, really for taking it, the time out of your schedule to inform and educate us as well as the listeners and the viewers. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure definitely. touring Zip's uh, facility meeting good folks like yourself along with your colleagues. It's been an absolute pleasure, so thank you. Yeah. Thank like, you, Dave. Likewise, I'm so glad you guys could come, show uh, show you everything we have here, and nerd out a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yes, we definitely yes, nerd it out. Definitely. <laughs> but even more than that, like the, the one of the biggest premises that we try to push forward is just education. So like having you available to, to speak to these different topics or whatever, yeah. especially for the audience, man, it's a big deal. So it's it's like, quote unquote, straight from the horse's mouth, right? Yeah. So when we're in these conversations with new cyclists and people who want to learn more about Zip and the offerings, like these are the questions that they're yeah, asking, they come up. Yeah. you know, like yeah. we're not trying to, you know, like sell things. We're Correct. just trying to, to inform. inform. Yeah. And that is because a lot of bike it. shop professionals, they don't know. They just don't know. Yeah. Right? They're, they're, they have so many products. Right. But we have the designer and <laughs> engineer here. Yeah. Like, he, you know, you know, like he's, he's the giving man us himself. the world. The yeah. man himself. So I'm super excited because I I can't wait to see what you do next. Definitely. We're, we're always trying really hard. Uh, but I really appreciate everything you guys are doing. You know, more people on bikes is good for everybody. So yeah. keep yeah. it up. Awesome. Now you're going back to the secret room. Yeah. Right? Yes. I know, I know <laughs> he's going to put on his hat. He does not wear a suit, by the way. No. But no, in my mind. In like this. Yeah. Right. There's yes. no lab coat. No going lab on. coat. But I feel like he has a lab coat with the glasses and everything. All blacked out. Y'all check yes. out more Watch, man. Everybody make sure you tune into the IG. Yep. Blackwash Cycling. Please hit the site as well. Hit the site. Yeah. Get some cool merch. Yeah. Comment if you're on YouTube. If you've got more questions, we'll do our best to get them answered for you. Um, please like, follow, subscribe. Likewise. We appreciate you. Always. Appreciate it. <laughs>